Father, we come before you needing you. We are aware of our insufficiencies. We are aware of our sin. We are aware that we are fading, that we are wasting away. Help us to fix our eyes on you. I pray that we would have joy in this life, and I thank you that we have an eternal weight of glory waiting for us. Bless your word to us, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the text before us today is one that's very dear to my heart, um, and uh, it's one that's been on my mind a lot. It's actually one I preached on uh, about four years ago, uh, and uh, that time I preached on all of uh, 2 Corinthians 4, but focused on verse 17. Uh, And I've been reflecting on uh, what's been happening in our lives as a family and in my own life, and... uh, I've got to say, I'm, I'm a bit more convinced that I am uh, wasting away uh, as we have had a lot happen. Uh, as most of you know, uh, though I know some of you are new here, uh, about two years ago, not quite two years ago, our daughter was born, and uh, our daughter was born with a very rare uh, bone condition that has meant uh, endless hours in the hospital and uh, surgery after surgery after surgery. And uh, one thing you should know is that parenting Eliza is a wonderful joy, and uh, our life is not an endless uh, dirge. Um, But having to spend 50 days in the hospital that you don't expect uh, takes a toll. And having lost our daughter a couple of, or having almost lost our daughter a couple times takes its toll. And uh, Paul says, outwardly we are wasting away. Uh, There are days that we absolutely feel that. And there are days that some of you feel that. And there are days we don't feel that as much. Uh, But I know that I'm not alone in, in feeling this. And as you know, I think about other things that have happened in the past years, in the past months, in the past weeks. I know that uh, we have lost people we love, and uh, we have learned about sickness and cancer in the lives of those we love. And where do we find our hope? Outwardly, we are wasting away. So how do we, how do we go forward? Uh, I'm going to be talking about three different aspects of this text. Uh, The first is admitting who we are and what is happening to us. Uh, The second um, is accepting where we're going. And then third, delighting in our destination. Uh, If we're honest, as Christians, we tend to almost live the opposite of this text we tend to live in the or seek to live in the comfort of the moment. Uh, we tend to look at what we see, and sometimes we take great delight in that, and sometimes we worry about it. But worrying about things that we see, about things we think, if I had this, my life would be great. If I, if only my situation was a little different in this life, then I wouldn't need anything else. Well, again, one of the things we need to do is listen to this text and admit who we are 
and admit what is happening to us. As Todd's been going through this, uh, this passage, or this, uh, this book, 2 Corinthians, we've seen a lot about Paul. And Paul talks a lot about suffering uh, in the text we read today. Uh, we heard how uh, we are afflicted in every way, verse 8. We are persecuted, struck down, always carrying around in our body the death of Christ. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians partly to defend his ministry because there are people in the church who have said, Paul, you're not as good as the other apostles. We want one of these good guys. Uh, somebody who's got their act together, someone who's not quite so sloppy and, and weak. And Paul could have come in guns blazing like he did as a Pharisee and said, who are you? to talk to me that way. I'm an apostle. You guys are nothing. They could have done that. But later on in uh, chapter 10, he starts talking about boasting in his weaknesses. And Paul, uh, you might think his life was really wonderful. He is an apostle. He's following after God with his whole heart. The Spirit is active in him, and yet he boasts in his weaknesses, and he's beat up physically, literally, a lot, and shipwrecked, and depressed. Uh, at one point, he talks about despairing, of, almost despairing of life. And Paul felt the reality of what it meant to be wasting away. Uh, you might think that he would be totally jazzed for the kingdom of God, and he was. But his day-to-day -day experience was not that he was happy all the time. Coming up uh, in the next chapter, uh, he continues these thoughts that he kind of ends with uh, about what is seen as temporary, what is unseen as eternal. And he talks about our lives as, as being tense, our bodies are tense. And he says, while we're in these tents, we groan. And then he says in verses 6, uh, 7, and 8, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul would rather be dead and alive eternally, then keep living. He says the same thing in Philippians uh, chapter 1, uh, Philippians 1, 21 to 24. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Uh, and there you have it, not in any kind of wrong way, but Paul would rather die and be with Jesus than keep on living in the body and enduring this suffering, but he understands God is at work and God's not done, and he keeps on going. Well, what does that mean for us? Practically, we need to have the same kind of attitude. Uh, 
It means we need to accept that we are wasting away and admit that it's happening to us. We don't like to do that. Uh, We don't like to admit that we're getting older, that things are not working out for us in our lives like we hoped. Uh, We don't like to uh, be honest about our struggles, that our Christian life is marked by doubt, by depression, by struggles with sin. And yet, when we admit that, we become equipped and we become more successful than if we don't. Um, Last week, I got a little older, and I'd love to stand up here and say, I I really don't feel any older, except that uh, I work with a chiropractor, uh, which is a wonderful thing, so I can go get an adjustment and then in between classes, if I need it, get a little touch-up. Well, I went every single day um, for about nine days um, because I had this thing in my shoulder that was also in my neck that was like every day it was another piece of the puzzle, and it's mostly better, but I feel older. Uh, And I have to be more careful about how I do things like pick up my daughter. I can't just reach out like this. Uh, turns out that's that's bad. Those of you who study physics know what happens when you push down. It's a lot of force here. Uh, and I am. I'm, I'm wasting away. And some of you are saying it's, you are not. You're doing fine. Wait till you get to be my age. And uh, uh, It's not to say I'm feeling it worse, but I feel it. And we all do. And some of you will. And the reality is that we are all wasting away, experiencing the curse of the fall. And death is at work within us. And at this point, you're thinking, uh, yeah, I know the Super Bowl is happening. Don't, don't stop here. Uh, I need some good news. And the Christ, uh, Christianity is full of paradoxes. Uh, One is that this wasting away is actually good for us. We tend to look at the Christian life and think that if I'm feeling good, if things are going my way, then that means I'm doing well spiritually. And if I can smile, and if I can say, I have all I need, then, then that's good. And we tend to kind of mix the American dream with Christianity and think if we have all those things, then that means I'm living a blessed life. Well, what does our text say? Though outwardly we are wasting away, verse 16, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. The same stuff that is causing us pain is having a good effect on us spiritually. The same things that are death, where we are carrying around death in our bodies, is working for our sanctification and our blessing. Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I'm going to talk about this in a little bit. 
the same things that are causing us pain, suffering, difficulty, are actually working out the reward that we will get later. We have to be very careful with that. Uh, and I'll, I'll say this again, but this is not, if you live a certain kind of life, you are achieving through penance your own salvation. It's not what's going on. You are not earning salvation. Your suffering doesn't pay off your sin. Uh, Jesus took care of all of that. If you believe in Jesus, you are completely and totally forgiven and nothing can take that away from you. Before we come back to that, in big terms, we need to ask the question, what are we living for? If we are outwardly outwardly wasting away, and that's the reality, we have to be honest and say that Christianity is not, as at least one person has put it, living your best life now. There's an idea out there, a very powerful one, that God wants you to be happy. And He just wants to pour out blessing on you. And if you just have enough faith, then you are going to be happy. You are going to be wealthy. You are not going to be sick. Your knee's not going to hurt. Your children are all going to smile all the time. Uh, Your car's not going to break down and so on, and so forth. And you can overdo it the other way. You can say, well, God wants you to be miserable all the time. Uh, I think we as Presbyterians are good at thinking that, that uh, if I'm suffering, that must mean that uh, God is working out his will, so I should just be miserable, and and, uh, God never wants me to be happy. Well, strictly speaking, God does want us to be happy in the same way that parents want their children to be happy. But, uh, and I think I'm safe saying this um, with all the the young boys out there. I'm not going to plant any ideas. But um, if your child comes up to you and says, Daddy, I really want to play with the table saw. That looks like so much fun. Can I please, please, please play with the table saw? The answer is going to be no. You may absolutely not. And the child may think, my, my parents don't love me. Uh, if they loved me, they would let me go chop off my fingers. Um, and we know that's not love. Uh, and we want our children to be happy, but we want them to be safe. We want them to grow, to have, uh, to have their fingers. And uh, so it is with God. God does want you to be happy. God does have a plan for your life, but his plan for you is not your momentary happiness. His plan for you is what Paul talks about, the eternal glory that far outweighs all of the difficulties of this life. Now, again, as Christians, it's tempting for us to live for what we see and forget what is unseen. So if the big, ter- the big picture is what are we living for, the smaller picture is day-to-day. Where's our comfort? And our comfort is not that things will be okay in this life. And 
there are plenty of texts that talk about God giving us what we need, about God knowing our needs, about uh, God knowing our needs before we even ask. There are passages that talk about God's, or Jesus saying, well, whatever you do, and sorry, whatever you ask for in my name, I'll do it. Well, we need to view that through the eyes of faith and understand that Jesus is not telling his disciples, Peter, James, John, if you want the Ferrari, all you got to do is ask, and I'll give it to you. It's not what he has in mind. Uh, but if we ask for the promises of God, he will answer. And coming back to this idea that the suffering is working out our good, what God wants for us, what he cares about much more than our momentary happiness is that we are made holy, that we are prepared for glory. And that's not always comfortable. Uh, Refinement is not something that is easy. The Bible compares it to passing through fire. Uh, it's not something we, we necessarily want, but it's something we need. Now, this also means uh, the fact that we're wasting away means that we need to admit this not just to ourselves, but we need to admit it to each other. And this text itself doesn't talk a lot about Uh, life in the church, Uh, but it is a consequence of what we have before us. So often coming to church and life in the church is something we make about, well, I need to look good. When people ask me how I'm doing, I need to smile. When, uh, when, When we share our hearts, we need to share what we're thankful for and then keep smiling. But as fellow believers, as friends in Christ, as family in Christ, it is imperative that we lower our guard and that we can look at each other in the eye and say, brother, I'm struggling. Sister, I'm struggling. It's hard. Now, this this realness, especially in our culture, can be extremely difficult Uh, It's very difficult for those of us who come up here and preach uh, because, well, we want to be invited back. If I'm I'm too honest, will they invite me back? And it's a real thing uh, for all of us that if we're too real, will I be rejected? I'm not worthy to stand up here on my own anyway, so I shouldn't get the idea that I need to uphold Uh, any kind of idea that I am holy enough as a Christian. Um, And neither should any of us. Now, this is difficult because being the first one to be real can be very, very terrifying, where if everyone else is doing great, there's such a pressure to just keep smiling, keep moving ahead. But biblically, all of us are wasting away, and the reality is, that if we go around the circle a second time, it's not a guarantee that I can make, but knowing 
enough people, knowing the struggles that we have, yeah, I'm struggling too. Uh, And the struggles won't always be the same. Some of us are struggling with pain, physically, often. Some of us are struggling spiritually with depression. Some of us are struggling with holiness, with an internet full of junk. Some of us feel like we shouldn't be here. And yet, if that's who you are, you belong here. And that is an honest picture of of what the church looks like. And the more we're honest with each other, the more we can encourage one another. And I hope that this church is and becomes a place where we can be real. One of the things I just read this week uh, was an article on someone who was seriously abused. And she was sharing that in the process of seeking healing, in the process of calling out those who uh, were doing abusing, her church was the least safe place to share. And this is sadly often true, but it absolutely shouldn't be. Uh, And I don't know that we do that well, but I hope that you feel that we can be a place where we share our burdens and our struggles. Uh, This is another area where we tend to think the church is doing well when we're full and everyone's smiling and no one really has any problems. But the reality is Jesus came for the sick and the weak. And the church is doing best when we're bearing each other's burdens. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Philippians 2, 4, let each of you look not to his own interests, not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. These are the things that we should be doing, uh, and the more we do them, One, the easier it gets to share. And two, the more we find healing and life. Now, the good news is that this text isn't only about wasting away and that um, my job up here is not to just convince you that uh, you're miserable. Um, We need to accept where we're going. I lived for two years in Massachusetts. It was cold. Um, The Patriots won a lot. Uh, Massachusetts doesn't like street signs. If any of you have been there, you might know this. You're driving along. Uh, This is, I was there before uh, we all had GPS everywhere. And you would be looking for where you were trying to go, wondering, am I on the street that I'm supposed to be on? And it's hard to tell because they never told you. They would tell you what street was coming next, but what street are you on? 
you're not from here, are you? Uh, otherwise, you'd know. Well, one of my favorite expressions, you would ask for directions because you had no idea where you were and it was forest everywhere. And uh, you would ask for directions. And if someone was really local, they would say something like, oh, you can't get, here there. You can't get there from here. First, you have to turn around and go back. And then you follow this road and then you can get there. And it's such a wonderful nonsense expression. You can't get there from here. Uh, And I think a lot of times we feel like that in the Christian life, that we're stuck and that there's no way, there's nowhere nowhere to go. Uh, But we have great promises in this text. One of them is you are being renewed. That that same weariness, struggle, sanctifying work, is producing in you uh, the very thing uh, that brings about our glory. Peter says a similar thing in First Peter six, First uh, Peter one verse six. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says, our struggles are purifying us and purifying our faith and making us stronger, even though it feels like we're being made weaker. Romans 5 verse 3, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You might feel like you're stuck. The Holy Spirit is at work in you if you believe. Now, if you don't believe, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will give you life. No one comes through to the Father except through me. And it is in Jesus alone and believing in Jesus alone that we can have this hope. So one of the promises is we are being refined. The Holy Spirit is working in our hearts, producing fruit in us. And that is a good thing now. But my favorite part is when we get to verse 17. And Paul calls our struggles pain depression, everything that we're going through, light and momentary. And you might be tempted to think, thanks a lot, Paul, you don't understand me. He does. He's been there. Uh, He has been hurt. He has been rejected, uh, beaten, stoned, literally with rocks, to the point of death. And he called all of that light and momentary, just for a little while. In another little article I was reading, there's a new app you can get for your phone. Uh, It sends you a daily reminder a few times a day with a message, you are going to die. Uh, 
Now, the reviewer said that um, this was profound once or twice, and then it was just an annoying thing. Um, an another article said, you know, you have that little reminder that you need to exercise with the Apple Watch and people figure out. You just dangle your arm and wave it back and forth. Then that tells your little Apple Watch that you've been exercising. Uh, but the point of this app is actually not a bad one if you have a, a gospel perspective. We should know that we're going to die. And we, we look at old hymns and they're full of it. You read the Puritans. Death was a regular thing. Uh, in American Christianity, we avoid it at all costs. Um, But the idea that we should be reminded that we're going to die is a good one. Not because we should be morbid and dress in all black and hang our heads and sit in the corner and just wait. But because in that is our greatest hope. That this life is temporary and that we are on our way to glory. That everything we're going on now, that's going on now is the pregame show. It's not the game. Our momentary troubles are working out for us an eternal weight of glory. Pastor Todd was talking about uh, David, talking about wanting to be in the temple all the time. And I was re reflecting on a similar thing. That heaven is wonderful enough that if we were to sit in a quiet room with just Jesus for all eternity... I don't think we'd stop grinning. But that's not the whole story. Uh, a lot of times we're presented with this kind of weak, ethereal view of heaven where we're all sort of mindless and strumming our little harps and nothing much happens. It's not the picture that uh, the Bible gives us. Um, picture of heaven is rich. We're going to have new bodies, and I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. But this life is not all there is. And that's really good news. Because it means that any disappointment we have, anything where we feel left out, anything where we feel that I just don't feel fulfilled in this, your fulfillment is coming. Your joy is coming. The promises of God in fullness are coming. And we have this very interesting past, uh, statement in verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Uh, that's a phrase that makes theologians nervous. That they're achieving for us an eternal glory. And as I mentioned earlier, I want to be careful. I don't want us to get the idea that in our suffering, we are adding to what Jesus did and achieving our salvation. It's not what's happening. But though we are saved by grace through faith, Though this is not of ourselves and it's not by works so that no one can boast. Uh, there are a lot of passages that say things like, 
Run the race to win the prize. And in Matthew 25, the passage where Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. And there's a sense of reward for that. There's also a sense where the people hearing this are like, what do you mean, Jesus? I don't remember doing any of this. And I don't think we're going to be rewarded for the things we think we are. Um, But there's something there that says how we live has something to do with our reward in heaven. That's about all I can say. I don't understand how it works other than I know that it's not a one-for-one, we're earning it, and God owes it to us. It's not how it is. It's a gift of grace. But our sufferings now are achieving for us. One translator, are working out for us an eternal glory. And that is an amazing thing. And the last part is delighting in our destination and looking to the unseen. What Paul tells us to do is to fix our eyes on what is not, uh, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. How do you do that? Um, it's through the eyes of faith and knowing that we have a great gift in our, our forgiveness and knowing that God is at work, but above all, knowing that we are going to be with Christ. And so, as I tell my students, when I'm teaching them, I know that there are waves out there that I could be surfing if I wasn't teaching, and I'm missing out, but that's okay because we have a glory that's coming. As we get older, we know that there are things that, are, that we used to do that we can't do anymore. And we know there are disappointments, things we wish we had done in life that we, we didn't. Our temptation is to think, well, I can fix those. But our true comfort is knowing that glory is awaiting us and that we will be with Jesus and that we will live in the new heavens and new earth. And fixing our eyes on what is unseen means meditating on the promises of God. It doesn't mean looking inside ourselves and trying to stir up some emotion, and if we can just stir up enough emotion, then we'll be fine. No. Look to the cross. Look to the new heavens and new earth. And I feel like any time I preach on this, I end up going over the same passages, but I think those passages are what give us great comfort and strength. Hebrews 4 talks about us entering into the same rest that God did when he rested from creating the heavens and earth. 1 Corinthians 15, 53. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. 2 Corinthians 5, 4. For while we were in this tent, we groaned, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. What's going on in those little texts? It's saying that you and I, in glory, are not going to be disembodied spirits. We're going to be ourselves, but we're going to take on immortality. 
will be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, be made perfect. And then Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, ordained for, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven, sorry, from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Brothers and sisters, that is our hope. That Jesus hasn't forgotten us. He's gone to prepare a place for us. And that what we are suffering is not pointless, and it's not everlasting. What we are suffering now is for a little while. What we just read about is forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the chance to be together. Thank you for your word. Renew our hearts. Encourage us. Be with each of us where we need you. Be with us as a church. I pray that we will more and more be a place where we can be real with each other and support each other. I pray that your spirit would be active in all of us. And I pray that you would work out our eternal glory through what we're suffering now. Lord, we pray that you will come quickly. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.